Welcome to the show. I'm Tinzian, and I've taken over hosting duties for this mini-cast of Death Before Dishonor. Today is Friday, January 27th, and this podcast is hosted on the Gray Area Podcast Network. Today we have Genesee and Cesar joining us. Uh, Daniel is not able to join us due to work. And we are currently between Season 1, which was the Keep of the Shadow Fell, and the start of Season 2, which will probably be next week. Woo! Which will be the Thunderspire Labyrinth. Um, yeah. Going into uh, this period, we are still searching for another player or two to join us. And if you can make a regular Friday night recording at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, we would love to have you. Uh, generally, we record an episode or two every Friday. And we definitely respect real life. And... Uh, do look forward to hearing from you. Tonight I figured it would be good to have sort of a, a mini-cast where um, the tables are somewhat reversed, and instead of going through a module, I was going to cover uh, some interesting news that's come up for the podcast, and then I've got a couple questions for our players, and sort of to kind of serve as a bridge between seasons. So, bear with us. The first bit of news is that starting next week, we are going to have a new guest player. His name is Kevin, and he is the host of the Super Number One podcast. He's going to be joining us uh, and the party for at least the inaugural night. And if things work out well, uh, he will probably be a regular on the podcast, uh, provided that suddenly someone doesn't have a case of Tourette's and <laughs> drops so many F-bombs that uh, Genesee decides to no longer uh, <laughs> edit the podcast less than is already done. <laughs> so that's that's sort of the big news, but again, we'd still like another player or two. If I can keep my language in check, he can. So. <laughs> <laughs> you? You, Zezer? I, I'm I'm just more worried about you know another interaction with our resident convict uh, over in Australia. <laughs> uh, they get a little crotchety if a uh, if a new fish is introduced to the yard and uh, not pro properly schooled on the uh, gang life of the Australian outback or at least Daniel's side yard. <laughs> you have to see how everything works, dynamics and group and all mm -hmm. that stuff. Yeah, but it's... I'm looking forward to meeting him. But he, he's been extremely exuberant in the uh, couple emails I've had with him and the phone call and so forth. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's really exuberant. He, I'm so excited for it. He Good. Is, That's what we need. He's come up with a basic character background, and then he decided to flash that out. And he's really enjoying the fact that the uh, podcast is um, sort of a free-form living organic mm -hmm. thing instead of just reading out of a manual. Right. What did you say his podcast is? I'm gonna have to... Super number one. Super number one. Yep. Okay. I have about nine hours a day to listen to stuff so I can catch up on that and see what it's like. You can get to know him. It's a very yeah. kind of general topic yeah. to topic. Sounds you like know. it. A lot yeah. of beer. Yeah, <laughs> fun times. Yep. I like his videos personally. But I, I, he, he's definitely leaning towards the uh, Cesar camp in terms of having a personality for his character. Great. And uh, look, he's really looking to role play. Yeah. Um, I think that would be something we should talk about 
as well, like as a subject now, because mm -hmm. definitely I, I think having gone through a complete module together and um, myself being the second one, that's something I definitely want to improve, I guess, in the next series of uh, of campaigns that we do and try to work on that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I, I think I definitely in, in terms of the number of, of player, or not the number, but the, the players we retained for the next module, I think that us three were probably the strongest in terms of that that aspect of it. So I definitely. think developing that will will be pretty easy and you know, at least... You well, know. you already have a lot of experience. Cesar's very well fleshed out, I feel like, and ah. it seems like you've played for a few years. <laughs> 2005 is when I started. And okay. so, yeah. The first the first season was uh, a, a series of training wheels progressively loosened and eventually mm -hmm. removed. And those um, who joined us, whether for the whole time or partial time due to real life, I think really went from either not having any experience to having experience yet working within sort of this unique format of yeah. Everyone's on Skype instead of around a table and throwing chips at each other. So there's a, a certain sense of technical limitation that I'd like to try yeah. and take to the next step for this coming season. I'd like to start using maybe map tools, but I don't mm. necessarily want to use map tools to the point that it adds huge delays to the podcast. Right. Um, it's more sort of the emergency Hey, we're entering a room. My description of the room for some reason just is not gelling with uh, the player base. I can slap something quickly together. You can look at it as a collective group and go, ah, here's a rough placement, and then continue forth. Because the, the group really handled combat when they had uh, the ability to freeform it, mm -hmm. which is sometimes there wasn't sure of you know what's in the way, what's in the table, and so forth. I, I mean, I, and I definitely... In Looking back on it retros retrospectively, I, I think that it, it might have actually been a, a good thing, especially for the newer players, to sort of remove this sort of movement, tactical movement from the mm -hmm. combat, because that's just a whole other realm of of complexity, for especially for for D&D. Uh, a lot of the powers and things, you know, deal specifically with different types of movement and... Mm -hmm you know, shifting and attacks of opportunity and stuff like that. So I think that sort of you uh, free-forming that rather than going by the specific rigidity of, you know, squares of movement and stuff like that sort of helped to simplify things and, and help people learn it a little quicker. I know that when I was building my character, I sort of uh, adapted it for that since I knew we weren't going to be doing specific, like you get two squares of movement here and things like that. I focused my mm -hmm. choices more on powers that didn't really deal with movement and stuff like that and placement and and you know there was there's always there always seemed to be i'd always leave enough wiggle room for something if the, if the story worked then i'd usually let things go even if it was a matter of oh you should have had two rounds of movement to get somewhere right you, know, you guys did something innovative or something creative and it would work with the story so why not go um you know sure. I, I come from a a background of uh, playing mushes back in college, the mm -hmm. multi-user shared hallucination. Sure, you've got a text thing, but largely it's all sitting in your head as to what something looks like. So yeah, that is that's definitely one of the um, things that sets D and D apart from a lot of other RPGs. It's it's pretty dependent, at least the later editions that I'm familiar with, on the the grid and the movement. But you actually worked well in sort of removing that, just because we were sort of limited in what we had available to look at. So. So well. 
One one thing that I am looking to do this time around, since we have uh, a fairly established, comfortable group, um, even though Kevin hasn't played D and D in a long time, he's asked me to you know subject him to whatever rule sets uh, the rest of the party adheres to, and I've told him I've got no issue uh, putting you know some wheels on him here and there as needed. But I think for this this season, I'm going to try and tighten up the rules to be more in line with what the actual rules are and less of the house rules, and mm-hmm. just to see how that flies. I know Cesar comes from a background of, you know, here's the rule books, here's the sort of general rules, yeah. and I come from more, here's the house side. So I think for this time around, I'm, I'm going to kind of tighten things up where at least there's perhaps more consistency, even though I think there was the last time. It was definitely consistent. It just wasn't always consistent with the written rules. Right. But some of the uh, listeners have asked um, if that if that experiment could uh, modify towards uh, an existing rule set. And who knows, for season three and beyond, there may be something else. But going into this one, I think, uh, in some basic sense, I'm going to try and tighten up the rules a little bit more towards the book. Well, hopefully we'll be playing Beta 5 by Season 3. <laughs> Who knows for sure. But I think we should take an opportunity to say thank you to the players from GeekBits who mm-hmm. stepped up. You know, yeah. Daniel, Dan, Opie, um, and Daniel, who's not GeekBits, but as well, for for deciding to play with us. And especially for Dan and Opie and Dave Witt when he came in every once in a while. Because yep. they'd never, ever played before. And this was completely foreign territory to them. So that was really nice of them to try to learn it for our sake and for the fact that they wanted to kind of take that leap and, and give it a try. And I think it was for some of them. I think Dan will be back. I think he's a secret D&D addict. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Opie was really his thing, and he's kind of said he's glad he tried it, but it really isn't his game. Yeah, and it's not everybody's thing, you know? Matt, you know, Matt even tried it for a little while yeah, and Matt, you had, had, the, had, the, had the bow out. But I think that even though Dave wasn't able to play for great periods of time, there's there is a great lineage left to the story. There's now the is there something behind the door? Are you what's behind the door? Are you going to run you know, anytime anyone attempts to do a charge, it just harkens back to the, <laughs> you know, who are you going to stomp a puddle into type thing. And and that is what I'm striving for. I'm striving for more than just yeah. wow, uh Cesar loves Mountain Dew and all he does is eat chips through the podcast. <laughs> Whereas this group has that sense of, yes, here's our inside jokes. You, the listeners, are welcome to the inside jokes if you follow along with the podcast. Right. But there, there, there are elements now that are strictly this group. Um, sure. I have elements from past groups that to this day nobody else has touched. <laughs> but just the, the environments haven't gone there and I don't feel the need to force anything into this group at all just seems to happen nicely so yeah um turning our attention to the sort of the bridge i'm gonna ask uh xanatari and cesar to put their thinking caps on and i'm Uh thinking that there's there's either (laughs) I'm i'm gonna put it up to uh your choice for for both of you I'm thinking that probably between season one and season two, about a month has passed. Now, you can either go into detail as to the sort of stuff that your characters would have done based on their specific little 
subquest they have or you know maybe explain somewhat of the backgrounds of your characters and the subquest they could be on or um maybe Cesar wants to offer some in character history of his times in the hells uh, or mm. something along those lines but just something to kind of maybe either bridge or serve as the i guess D&D is known for its realm books and its character books and all these different things, the sort of fluff that some people are really into. But uh, if if you want to take an opportunity to flesh your characters out a bit more going into this, having gone through this battle-hardening experience. Do you want to go first, Cesar, or do you want me to go? I don't care. Um, I can go. I actually, I mean, I have some stuff written up that I can refer to here pretty quickly. Yeah, um, teacher's pet. <laughs> well, I didn't know this was coming. I had that ever since we started. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, let's just start with a refresher on what Cesar looks like. He's an old, an old dude. He's about seventy-two years old, but he's not exactly sure how old he is. Mostly, <laughs> mostly bald. Um, he yes. reminds me of that guy from um, Back to the Future. What's the doctor's name? Doctor. Oh, Doc Brown. Doc Brown. He reminds me of Doc Emmett Brown. Brown. Yeah, I, I could see that. Sure. Um, he's mostly bald. He has some tufts of white hair growing out from the sides of his head. You guys are familiar with the image I have on Skype. It's pretty much exactly what I picture. Um, he has a full white beard and, uh, he, his eyesight is pretty poor. So he has a, a pair of bifocals that he, uh, that he makes sure to take very good care of in this world. Um, yeah, he's he, our ranged guy. <laughs> well, yep. <laughs> I guess Thorn mostly takes care of that too. <laughs> um but yeah, he uh he just popped through that portal from his as you said hell, which I can go through here too. But uh so he doesn't really have much on him including his clothing. Uh he's wearing little more than rags under his armor. Um he uh has a, a very old, very worn set of leather armor that he has owned for decades. Um, he was originally a soldier, which we can go into, and he sort of kept it through that, that time into his finally escape from his torture into here. So he has that with him. Um, it's light brown leather and it's, it's so used that it's almost as, as supple as cloth, but it still retains its strength. And, uh, for footwear, he has leather sandals that are just as worn, um, so that's basically what he looks like. And uh his background. Alright, let's see what do we got here. Oh, okay. Caesar. Caesar, Caesar, Caesar. He was born into slavery, uh, in a city called El Tabar, uh, that's located in uh the country in the Forgotten Realms known as Thay. Thay is a country that's uh ruled and controlled by uh legions of undead uh they have that land under their sway so it's not a very hospitable place for pretty much anyone else most uh most of the population is is undead but there are some of the other races uh the large majority of the rest of the race is is human and most of those are born into slavery under them um he knows nothing of his parents in quotes uh they could have been any of the many humans the undead used to breed soldiers uh for their armies that's basically 
what they use the humans for. They have breeders that they use to, to make more soldiers so that they can fight off their enemies and take in more and more land. Uh, <clears throat> so he was basically just raised by nursemaids who, you know, again, their purpose is to uh, raise soldiers for the undead. And then when he, uh, you know, was of age, probably, you know, 13 or 14, you know, got whatever strength he could at that point, he began serving them, and uh, he was, uh, since he was so young, he saw little battle at first, and uh, the spare time he had sort of waiting around on battlefields, he uh, discovered he had sort of a, a skill. He would try his hand at creating various machines from scraps he would pick up during various uh, sort of army expeditions and missions and things like that, and collect different scraps of metal and, you know, bits and pieces of broken down machines on the side of the road and stuff like that. Um, he worked on that for a long time, but uh, eventually his, uh, his hobby was discovered by one of his overlords and they, you know, beat him within an inch of a life because, you know, they're not supposed to have any interests other than fighting. And he was taken to, uh, uh, high up in the, uh, in the, the Thayan, uh, government. Uh, her name is Silora. And uh, she uh, is the overseer of the city he was born in. And uh, uh, she, instead of having him killed at that on the spot, you know, for his insolence, she uh, recognized his gift and, and set him to work developing technology for her and her armies. So this he was probably about uh, 25 or 30 at that point, so... He worked for, for decades under her thumb. He was sort of right beneath her. She oversaw a lot of his work. And uh, so he uh, worked to give her armies uh, more weapons than they could have dreamed of having without him. His favor with her grew through the years until he was without question her most trusted slave. Uh, and then uh, at... at some point, she discovered the remains of a teleportation circle within her manor, and uh, she he uh, was among the select few that she let in on the secret, and uh, he basically was the one that helped her exploit this arcane tool. So, um, I mean, as soon as she revealed it to him, he's, his uh, eyes sort of lit up, and uh, the you know proverbial light bulb flashed over his head, showing his path to freedom. But uh, he realized that it would take quite some time to wait for the perfect moment to be able to escape without detection or pursuit. So uh, years and years passed, and eventually, on the eve of his 72nd birthday, as far as he could tell, sort of birthdays were not really something they kept track of. Uh, but that's sort of the day he always chose to celebrate it. Uh, he found his moment. Uh, he and the the undead... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, Ar Archon uh, Silora, they had just finished establishing a link between uh, their circle and a circle within a magic shop in another city in the Forgotten Realms in a different kingdom. She's been working on it to try to, you know, use it to invade uh, different kingdoms and things from within. So uh, she was so happy with their breakthrough that she decided to reward the old man with one of the bottles of wine she kept for the rare uh, human ambassadors that she infrequently hosted. Uh, he drank a, a good deal of the wine uh, and pretended to be drunk and until he uh, feigned 
uh, being asleep. And uh, she sort of laughed at his pathetic humanness. Uh, she left him to sleep. He waited uh, many minutes after her departure and then sprang to his feet. He gathered his few possessions with which he had kept stowed away nearby in preparation for the moment, stepped into the circle, and uh, began the incantations that would send him far away from his captors and the wretched land that had served as his prison for his entire life. Uh, he uh, learned of sort of a backdoor route in the teleportation circle that you could find a way to teleport away to sort of... Uh, sort of sent you to a random place within the Forgotten Realms, but it, the positive side of it was that it was untrackable. Um, and so he sent himself off into the ether, and he was ready to begin his, to finally actually begin his life after so many years of toil and hell and torment under these disgusting, horrible, undead creatures. And Did, did he leave uh, any sort of explosive package or anything to destroy the portal? On the other side, or is that still an active component that he's probably afraid of? Um, it's still there. He, uh, you know, there was only so much he could risk, and it was enough of a risk at that point. So he was only able to stow so much away. Um, so it's still out there, and they have access to it. But when we when we finished the last episode of season one, it seemed to me that Caesar was one overwhelmed at all the accolades too overwhelmed at just having so much freedom to walk down a path or something but he <laughs> he seemed he seemed to be uh heading heading for the uh for the honeys and the sort of celebratory <laughs> cheer uh of 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 a of a good warrior or barbarian or something is well like... i mean it's sort of what he'd been dreaming of his whole life he imagined probably something just about to this magnitude um you know, in most other circumstances, he probably would have just popped into existence, you know, just in the middle of, maybe in the middle of nowhere and just in the middle of a city and probably would have ended up living the rest of his life poor and hungry. But he happened upon this group and with his skills that he already developed, he was able to make a name for himself within a few days of his appearing. And so this was sort of what he had always dreamed of happening that, you know, once he got away, everything would be, you know, the land of milk and honey and as you said, there was milk and there were definitely honeys. So, <laughs> do, do you do you think this will lead to a dramatic shift in the personality of uh, Caesar over this next episode, or is he fairly well rock solid and just you know al allowing the tidal wave to go over him without? I don't. I don't think that will. I mean, I, he's um, able to maintain his sort of good naturedness through you know everything he dealt with, and you know, I hope you know through that last episode, or the last adventure, I think, you know, he's not weighed down by his years and years of, of slave slavery. So, uh, mm -hmm. um, I mean, in terms of his personality, um, I, I, you know, I've always I've thought of him as pretty friendly, a little bit eccentric with his mind, sort of, uh, you know, very uh, based in these, you know, machines and things like that. He has a, you know, a, a mind for that. But uh, there's one thing, since he's, you know, worked under others for so long, I I have a little bit of a of a selfish streak within him, and he's going to sort of take what he can get to to survive. He uh, he won't, you know, think twice about uh, sort of going behind people's back. I think in the episodes we've played so far, I think he's sort of snuck away 
uh, a thing, a few things here or there, and mm-hmm. tried to pull the wool over. I think Xanatari's eyes once about a magic item, you know, just to sort mm-hmm. of line his pockets and make sure his way is, you know, sort of set because he's been suffering for so long. So that's sort of a, a contrasting thing that that I've tried to hint at a little bit. Obviously, he's not going to tell everyone, I'm selfish and I'm going to steal from you. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was it was... surprised when he took the money uh, and, you know, kind of did it behind everyone's back from the, the loot treasure chest. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's, I'm, I'm taking 200, you know, here's the rest. <laughs> Split it up. I want my share. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, I mean, he's, you know, has experienced really nothing besides, you know, those around him being, you know, taking everything from him. So he's never really experienced sort of, you know, sharing and, you know, fairness <laughs> and stuff like that. So I, I, maybe that might work itself out of him or maybe he'll keep that. I don't know. But so far he's going to take what he can get really. Do, do you see Cesar being potentially the diplomat of the group? Mm, I don't know that he has enough people skills for that. I, I, I don't think that he would, he would shy away from it, but, uh, I don't know that he'd be uh, very effective. <laughs> He's, you know, sort of the, the, you know, computer geek in a sense. Um, sort of has a mind for, you know, circuitry and gears and cogs and things and, and has much less experience with it, the inner workings of people, especially mm-hmm. fellow humans. Okay. Anything else that you want to add uh, going into this next season that you, know, you may want to consider tossing in. Well, I mean, I think it, it makes sense that he's still with uh, at least some of the party, maybe some, you know, the, the other, a few of the, the group decided to split off, but he, you know, he saw that they were able to get done what they needed to get done in this place. You know, he learned after the fact what they were there for. And he, uh, you know, saw that they were of a common mind of, you know, not, being friendly towards the undead and things like that, I guess, uh, you know, except for, uh, except for Dan's character, but he's sort of a, the revenants I think are a little bit different than the, uh, Oh, Daros. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, te- I guess, technically undead, but I think it's a different, different race thing than the people that had kept him slaves for mm-hmm. so long, but we killed a, a fair number of, of zombies and skeletons down there. So he could see that, you know, they're not going to turn him in or anything like that, and they seem to be fairly competent. So I think I, that I was I was kind of surprised that uh, neither you nor Xanatari actually delivered the coup de gras to um, Thorn after the uh, stunt of him falling down the chain um, during the last <laughs> at the start of the last encounter. I, I was really surprised with that. That yeah. we didn't kill him. Yeah. Yeah, he, everyone needs a buffoon. We all need a clown in the party. Okay. Uh, Zen, sorry. What would you like to add, either postscript or... Okay, uh, I think I should go back like Scissor did and uh, try to give a little bit of backstory as well. That was really good to hear reminders of Scissor and, and where he came from. So, um, Zenatari is a Kalashtar war priest, and kind of sent from her people on what I would call almost like a vision quest where she's leaving to prove herself and prove her her worth to the community at large and has heard rumors of a a dreaming dark or a large darkness in this area and had come here searching 
for some sort of evidence of that and obviously found it in the, the keep as we move forward. She is a war priest and affiliated with the God of Thunder, has long dark hair and sort of elf-like features, the Kelish Tarbray elf-looking kind of people. And I would say throughout the campaign developed a little bit paladin-esque uh, mm-hmm. inclinations, I would yeah. say, in some mm-hmm. way. And having gone through the entire campaign, she's really thrilled because she's thinking that her people are probably going to hear about this, and this isn't just like she defeated a couple of goblins. This is a really big deal, and it really affected this whole community. And so it's a really great, uh, you know, triumphal story to take back to her people and really uh, to prove to them that she really has done something really amazing here. So she's kind of riding a high after this whole thing, and uh, and also feeling a little bit at the same time that maybe we didn't take the time to really honor some of our fallen members. Um, we know Daros went off searching for Kurik's legacy, and so she would go back into the keep and look for Eldrak's remains and bring them out, and the entire community would hopefully give him a really uh, elaborate funeral and really show their mourning for the fact that he you know, tried very hard to to help free them from this great evil. So she would spend a couple days uh doing that and kind of having that morning ceremony for for him and seeing Daros leave and seeing um Bosk leave uh we'll be kind of thinking about heading back toward the Kalashtar maybe sent some messages to the Kalashtar if there's such a thing as pigeon carrier pigeons or the magical equivalent just to let them know that she's heading home but she would kind of hang out and just sort of enjoy the the adoration of the entire town as she's come of age and and feels that uh, she wants a well-deserved rest from this entire encounter. Also try to get the, to know the priestess perhaps a little more and make her own tiny little shrine to the God of Thunder in her room in the inn and take some time to really uh, thank him and, you know, use her relic and be very thankful that he was such a participant in helping her get through this. I do think that even though she has the paladin-esque kind of tendencies, that she also is a little bit of a rebellious character. And if she feels that something's necessary, isn't necessarily one who would debate with the group to find a common consensus, but just kind of acts as her own deciding factor and does it. Uh, have a little bit of tank tendencies in that way. Uh, and would probably hang around and be glad to talk to Cesar and relive their triumphs over and over as she prepares to depart back to the Kalashtar kingdom. Does Xanatari view this as she's fought the great evil and sort of at her young age she's now um, reached the pinnacle of what it means to be one of the Kalashtar, or does she sort of realize this is the potential prologue to a wider book that she can be part of because you, know, you said that there was fame and coming of age and so forth mm-hmm. I think that she sees herself as a hero and wants to go back and be acknowledged in that way I don't think that she's going to sit on her laurels forever and just you know tell stories about it until she's as old as Cesar mm-hmm. I think she's going to realize <laughs> that this is a little small tip of the iceberg of the evil that's out there and probably go seek it further but I think she wants to go go back to her family and kind of bask in the heroism of of being the conqueror for a little while and then she would continue on 
Okay. Now, you have, well, Xanatari has uh, minor psionic abilities. Mm-hmm. And an, an almost interesting talent trait that I, I've seen other people gloss over, but you've worked in as an actual in-character thing. You don't seem, Xantar doesn't ex- seem all that phased when encountered with a talking minotaur that is in the party or eventually there's not a lot of bias. There is a lot of, you will earn the respect of Xanatari, but you're never sort of like, no, 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 you're a talking cow. I will never, ever talk with you. And in (laughs) fact, I'm going to, you know, crush my Warhammer into you. Is, Is that a, a planned thing or is that more a reflection on the player that came into the character? Well, if I recall the Kalashtar, their history is that there was an entire elfin race and I, their name escapes me at this moment. And then the spiritual race that's basically ethereal spirits ended up joining with that physical race and creating the Kalashtar. So they are a combination of a spiritual, you know, ethereal race and a physical race joining together to create this community. So I think she's seen a lot of oddness or is kind of accustomed to a lot of oddness in the sense that, um, we wouldn't just look at the physical beings as beasts and the spiritual beings as where it's at. She sees a combination of both of them. So I don't think she's as concerned about what kind of race the person is as she is their alignment. Uh, she was really leery of Darrow at first because he was undead and wasn't sure if that meant he was automatically evil. But once he pretty much demonstrated that he was on the good alignment, she let that go and wasn't as, as worried about that. Because I know you were real concerned for a while about the uh, Priestess of Pelor, mm-hmm. um, you know, not giving you the whole story and stuff, and you seemed to view her for a while as, with more animosity than just the inherent weight Daros is undead. Um, yeah. Well, she was kind of striking me as the sort that would give you information if you did something for her, like a quid pro quo. And Xenatari is very much like, you know, paladin, righteous, we need to vanquish the evil, everybody needs to join together and help each other to do that. And the priestess was giving me the vibe of, well, I'll tell you what you need to know, but first you have to do three quests and come back with, you know, three bags of grain and two flowers of this type and, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And that was getting her uh, irritated. And and I think she had it out with her when they returned from the original quest at the farm mm-hmm. and the priestess didn't have any memory of them or she accused them of not going right. to the farm. And so that, that sort of the distrust or the fact that this priestess seemed to view them as not, not good, not trustworthy, not part of the team was getting her riled up. I have very fond memories, uh, at least from my position as, as DM to when you all were traveling to the farm and the actual events at the farm. That was really when the group started to to really come together with their different personality points, and it was really fun to see that happen. Before we head out of here, I, I'm, I'm going to put both of you even more on the spot. Uh-oh. <laughs> we are the only this, people here, well, after all. Well, in in a non-binding sense, off the top of your head, if you were given the ability to name this company band of adventurers, uh-huh. what would you, what would each of you propose as as the name? 
because you know there's the companions of the ring and this and that and stuff but you know it's you mean the, the eye rolling ruffians the thorn babysitters <laughs> <laughs> yes the eye rolling ruffians that's where i'm going hmm okay well uh -huh. we'll have to see if something like that ever appears on a uh, sign outside of a building or something <laughs> What is it like? Like the wenching taverns? They all have that like. Rusty <laughs> 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 troll. <laughs> so, so are we are we picking our legacy name right now? Is that what we're doing? No, no, no. Although I, I do sense some uh, some Star Wars on the horizon. No, it, it's just interesting how you know you read back into Lord of the Rings and this this ragtag band eventually became you know yeah. this this great band that just somewhat picked up the the simple thing of the fellowship and to this <laughs> well, they were named this... after the rain they didn't have a lot of choice that's like the only important thing happening and that's the goal of the entire series right but the... you know it, they're they're the fellowship of the ring but you say that to anyone these days that knows about the book and it's this awe of this mm. band that is more than just okay the words fellowship okay yay <laughs> Of the ring, yeah. Okay, which you know, it, they, nobody asks. Okay, is it, <laughs> is it the wedding ring? Is it the engagement ring? Is it you know the wooden ring off Etsy? It's 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 something that has the band of the rod. You know, door door kickers, uh, mage stompers. You know, it's, it's I don't know. Tramples are us. <laughs> I, I I could see people sort of calling us. Maybe we didn't pick it, but others maybe calling us something clever like the keepers of the keep or something like that. Mm -hmm. I did like that episode. The keepers keep keeping. <laughs> yeah, because you know, some sometimes in in past uh, groups that I have been in, sometimes they become you know a party becomes known, or there's a previous party that's been known in the area, and you know they have like a shop or something where. It's sort of like the the Ghostbusters and their firehouse sort of kind of yep. thing, but just... I was in a, I was in a group once called the Exploding Fists. Oh, okay. Hmm. That's actually a there's an Asian expression. That's like a Bruce Lee thing. the The way of the exploding fist. I think it's Jeet Kune Do, isn't it? Oh, I'm not sure, know. but um, we're not sponsored by Netflix. But anyone who does have a Netflix <laughs> subscription should immediately put uh, Master of the Flying Guillotine as your number one <laughs> DVD pick and get it. It, also... is, it, is, it is one of the first movies to have where the bad guy has his own distinct soundtrack anytime he moves <laughs> or is even on screen. It is awesome. Also, Netflix, we're open to sponsorship. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Totally Chelsea. we are, yeah. <laughs> How about we put you on the spot, Seth? And oh. I don't know if you're willing to go into this, if it's going to be something continuing or not. Okay. I was just wondering if you would be willing to sort of go into, there was a lot of uh, different things in the past campaign about sort of weird time events and temporal, yep. you know, adjustments and yep. whether it be, you know, we switch in and out between times and go into a room that smells like bread or something like that but you <laughs> leave and it's a completely different room or like bread. sound is like five minutes late or something like that. I wondered if that was something you could explain more if it's a continuing thing that will... Okay, we'll... um, I will I'll, I'll accept that and uh, Xanatari knows me very well as being more of an optimist than a pessimist and sometimes I am an optimist to my detriment. Um, but 
I was optimistic that with the group that was playing and the willingness of the group to uh, dig in and enjoy a story and be part of something, that there was room for a long lineage of events to happen that didn't need to all be extremely wrapped up within one module. Again, I didn't know that one module was going to run 36 hours because, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm writing it out of the top of my head during each uh -huh. episode. I have no complaints whatsoever that it ran 36 hours, but there are these hallmarks of greater adventures to come and I think part of the legacy, like the Kirk legacy, uh, there's some stuff going on with Thorne behind the scenes that hasn't quite come up into um, the public play yet. There's a whole bunch of these uh, lines in the fishing pool, and as a DM, I can tug on these to bring the party either out of a sense of lull or into a sense of lull or into a gap. Um, in the story and so forth it's the farmhouse in episode in season one was pretty much an entire entirely something that didn't exist in the original module mm -hmm. it just happened to work out that sending you guys out there worked amazingly well um there is this sense of temporal stuff everyone wants to eventually be whether they play you know a standalone computer game or they play an MMORPG, you want to eventually be the badass. Well, what makes you want to be the badass? The taste of what could be. I would love to have some of my friends come in and later on do one or two night um, guest dungeons that have, um, you know, that I played back in high school with people that are amazing. I would love to run a good old-fashioned um, planular campaign or adventure or even just step out of the reality and you, know, you guys go down the path less traveled, so to speak. Because the majority of you all haven't played extensive D&D, &D, so really anything that I bring to you only really improves your character, allows you that freedom to, if you eventually want to dip your toes in and actually get into character, doing something like an epic campaign is rewarding, I would hope, to both myself but also the players. So these temporal things are not something that will go away. In fact, there's uh, pretty near the start of season two um you know there's planned interactions with that again spoiler alert mm -hmm. <laughs> i'd like to see more with that crazy old dude who uh eldrick disappeared into his house and he gave us all gifts before he left remember mm -hmm. that was the the time sh shifting house yep yep, yep. that's kind of neat but uh, the, the thing with like uh like when you found the chest where it said in bosk's handwriting yep. you you may need this, and then the yep. may was crossed out, and someone wrote will, and it was yep. weapons for everyone, and a sketch. Like it was really cool. It, you it, know, the, it, there's 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 the dragon mural where you all are. You know, there's a group fighting, and it looks somewhat like you guys, and it's like ooh, you know, 
it, it's I, I have this iconic image from I forget if it's I don't think it's Snow White. It's it's one of the old Disney movies with uh, Sleeping Beauty. Um, Maleficent. That, Maleficent, where she turns into the black dragon and she's just on this mountaintop and it's just this huge, like, Disney just dropped any sense of high word kitty theme park. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to it. We brought it, bitch. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she's scary. Um, You know, just that sense of, okay, yeah. you know, smog. Yeah. How many times are you guys going to want to fight goblins? As you guys progress, there's different things. Well, eventually, everyone kind of goes, well, it's dungeons and dragons. We've done <laughs> dungeons. Maybe we'll encounter something more meaty. Just because you fight a dragon doesn't mean that's the end of your thing. You know, that may open up different abilities or this and that. But it, it, it gives this sense that, you know what, you guys going out and spending time to come join with me and play and invest your time and invest yourselves and invest your imagination while I do the same and, and share it with you guys, that there is something out there that may trickle down into your character where they go, wow, I have just seen potentially like, it may all have been shadowed silhouettes fighting this dragon. But, wow, if I squint my eyes right, that looks like my helm. Or, mm. you know, wow, that person's got the Kalishtar battle stance of the Fury Beetle. <laughs> oh, you know, I know that one. Or, you know, what, maybe I should learn that because, you know, that's just, you know, that's badass. It's just the nice part about D&D is it's not only what's in the module, but what you take out of it and what you put into it. There is no reason mm -hmm. why... Like That's I, I look, <laughs> I, I, I look, I look back at adventures that I had with Cryptomancer. Um, you haven't met him yet, Cesar, but you may. But I have, I can still think back to you know sitting in his room. We're playing D and D. There are things to this day that um, you know, someone can say something from Lord of the Rings, and I can counter with, "Wow, that is just as badass as this other thing that I did," and not feel like I'm disrespecting Tolkien. Mm. But I have my own sense of. Wow, this is part of why I've got the library downstairs of, you know, over two to three hundred RPG books, because somebody else like uh, the folks from Palladium Books, they've got this Rift series and they've got all these other things. And Kevin Samita writes tons and tons of these world books and he invests it and you can sort of get this sense of, here is this world that he does not want to get stagnant. This is epic to him. This is awesome. I'm going to join into that. I want all of you to look back at this podcast and not be like, okay, this is just something that we did to fuck around, pardon my French, on a Friday night. But this is something that, you know, we've got friends, um, people took chances, we've had some epic story. But I, I want everyone a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, to proudly look back on this and not be just, wow, that was some time spent. It, you know, but it is awesome. So that when you go and you see the movie, you can go, okay, um, you know, X fantasy movie or the, the 15th Wolverine movie. Ha ha ha. He did something like that. I thought of that. You know, I did that move on my. Artificer while going over the edge of a waterfall, dragging three hill giants on a chain. You know, <laughs> I did that first. He copied me. Ha ha ha. And you just, you feel invested in the wider fantasy 
world that's out there because you feel that you've put your little notch on the staff. There's your story. Put it next to Tolkien. Put it next to just some author that Xanatari has found um, in Barnes and Nobles. That's like the next big thing coming up. Just, you know, invest yourself into your reading where you have that mental movie theater um, going as you're either reading a book or watching something. But it, it make it become part of yourself and embrace your inner nerd and geek and <laughs> all that other stuff in, in, in the best possible way. FYI about Tolkien, mm-hmm. um, is it just me or does it seem like the entire cast of Sherlock has been like adopted into the new uh, Bilbo Baggins movie? Um, the Benedict Cumberbatch, who is the uh, who's Sherlock, he's doing the voice of Smog, and I think isn't Martin Freeman, who is uh, Doctor Watson, isn't he the one who's going to be Bilbo yep, Baggins? Bilbo. So mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Well, <laughs> I, I honestly have no experience with the Hobbit book. I have I have not read it. The only the the only experience that I have the cartoon right is 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 with the cartoon. Oh no, yep. the book's much better. I, that I so personally creepy. and and you know and 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 that may be the case. But I am looking forward to this movie with the glee of you know. Because I because because I, I haven't I haven't you know read the book so I can't go oh my god you know immediately the book is going to be better than the movie ha 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 but I'm going into this sense with a almost childlike glee and excitement mm. to see this movie that I haven't really had since say like Time Bandits. <laughs> Don't or... even bring Time Bandits into a conversation about Tolkien. That's ridiculous. What Time no. Bandits is amazing. Time Bandits is horrible. Uh- Okay, I think I'm quitting. <laughs> I'm done. But but it, it, it's it's just it's just a sense that you know yes I, I I should go and 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 read I should go and read the book and I'll probably read the book after the movie, but sort yeah. of like the labyrinth and this and that there there are these things that I've seen without out it but this harkens onto that pulse of the fantasy the exuberance the you know what I've seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I honestly loved them after I had seen them and resaw them again after, you know, an extended period of time versus the first one because it, it was much more enjoyable after having somewhat of the education from Xanatari and just, you know, being able to better appreciate things. So I'm 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 looking forward to the Hobbit for that regards, and you know I I want to see Smog. I could care less about Golem, but that's just you know my what? own my own shtick. Oh, I, I'm <laughs> quitting again. <laughs> I do think uh, the books, a Lord of the Rings books, were very depressing and not. I actually like the movies much better. Um, huh. The books, the books are really depressing. By the time you got to the third one, I was reading as quickly as possible because I just couldn't take it. I was gonna have to shoot myself in the head. But I think um, the Hobbit was a little bit more of a happy story, like it, it was a little more of a traveler's guide. Interesting. And I, and I like to read that a little bit better. I like, I, I like. Oh, that's a, no. At least you've read all of them. But you know, screw you for time balance. But <laughs> I, I, I like. A lover. <laughs> I like the 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 trilogy a little better than the hobbit i found especially the beginning of the hobbit pretty hard to get through but i definitely liked it and i i think i probably lean towards liking the books better than the movies but i love them both obviously mm-hmm. but yeah so you know it's it's just putting putting that uh 
that fun little stamp without having to go to the uh, the, the the Tolkien University uh, yeah master's program. Yeah, trying to do it on the cheap here at <laughs> Beth the Four Dishonor. <laughs> Anything else uh, either of you would like to toss in before we close up for the night? Oh, uh, do you want to say what Kevin what what class and race Kevin's playing? Or are you going to leave that for? for I'm I'm, I'm going to leave that for him to yeah. start. He has such an intricate workup of his character right now, <laughs> and literally, I'm watching the Google it is Doc. Lord of the Rings. I I literally watch the Google Doc change on a five minute to five minute basis. I can I can hear him almost go, oh oh um this, and then oh that unlocks that. It, it's so I. I dare not say because I think by the end of it he's already he's already picked out a couple of different classes and he's you know his story works for all of them it's just a matter of you know where he goes so I, I will let him uh, trumpet yeah. his own horn to to enter the the fray as it were I'm just eager to find out what it is so I guess I have to wait just along with everybody else yep uh, Xanatari. Uh, no, I really don't have anything else to add. I think this is a good wrap-up, and I'm looking forward to starting the new campaign next week. Okay. Thank you for listening. You can find out more at deathdefordishonor.com. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Twitter at deathdefore. Please take a listen to the Gray Area Podcast about advice and interviews on relationships between gamers. At and not the Geekfest Podcast anymore. <laughs> go to manlyknitting.com. How about there that? There you go. Have some... Uh, some what is it? Chainmail bags and chainmail items. Yeah, Yay! Some dice pouches. Go for it. By the way, if manlyknitting.com wishes to sponsor us, we will also <laughs> Eric, accept that Eric as well. Eric is not going to sponsor us. <laughs> Join us for a worldwide adventure. Stay tuned next week as we begin the next set of our travels. Ooh.